Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. How do you create a corporate culture where workers have a voice? It sounds pretty simple, but it's harder than you think. And if you're a worker, how do you decide to speak up? You have to have the right culture in place. It's something that comes up every time you see something go wrong. You know, we had a situation a few years ago at Disney where apparently there were alligators that were dangerous and workers had pointed it out, but they hadn't been listened to. We've had situations at aircraft companies, Boeing comes to mind, where workers had some misgivings and as it turned out, they were correct. And in some cases, they did speak up. In some cases, perhaps they didn't speak up. You know, in some companies, uh, people do raise their voices. They don't feel like they're listened to. So if you are a leader, you want to create an atmosphere where people who are on the front lines of things can note what they're seeing, raise it to the organization in a way that is valued and accepted and in a way that you can act on things that perhaps need to be dealt with. And again, you know, some cultures really support this and some don't. So today that's what we're going to talk about, why there are differences in the two and how you can create the one that's ultimately better for your organization. Our guest today is named Dr. Jana Raper, and she is a professor of organizational behavior at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. And she's studied this at some length. Uh, She's done research on employee voice, and she has some really great insights on how to get this right. So it's a really interesting discussion with her. Please stay with us. Well, should you speak up at work and how can you do that effectively? Our guest today is Dr. Jana Raver. She is a professor at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University, and she's done extensive extensive research on this topic. She joins me now. Hi, Jana. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Linda. Thank you for having me. You know, so much to talk about. This is such an interesting subject, but I always like to ask guests first about their own careers, how they ended up doing what they're doing. If you could just you know, give us an idea on that, because this is like a work podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to always start. Um, yeah, my, my own work, a lot of the, what I've done is about the difficult side of organizations. I talk about adversity as a big um, part of what I focus upon. Um, everything from ex- people's experiences of um, you know, discrimination or people's experiences of, of harassment or mistreatment, um, you know, experiences of uh, difficulty and, and, and how they've overcome it. And one of the things after years and years of studying you know, the difficult side, um, I, of course, want to find ways to change things in organizations. And it's like, OK, how do we do this? How do we build more positive environments? How do we actually improve things in the organization and naturally voice and speaking up about challenges and speaking up about how to improve things um, is a key solution. And lots of uh, challenges right now on all of that. It, the idea of employee voice that you've written about is such an interesting concept. Just kind of explain to us what you mean by that. Yeah, voice is it's really about expressing yourself um, and, and you know, you're concerned about something. You have a um, you're frustrated, you're concerned, something's not going the way it should. Um, and it's about actually sharing your ideas, about sharing your um, opinions, sometimes your objections. Um, and, and it can be done by yourself individually, or you can also get other people um, to rally behind a particular idea in order to, to try to make positive, constructive change in an organization. 
You know, it sounds positive when you say this, and it should be positive, and yet people are afraid to do it. Is there a corporate culture against speaking out? Yeah, that's a unfortunately a, a very real phenomenon. Um, we talk about sometimes some organizations will have a culture of silence. So, uh, you know, if we think about, for example, the Phoenix Pay System um, is, issue in the last several years, where um, it has already cost the the, the government as well as the taxpayers $1.5 billion in terms of this hugely failed system. And when looking at um, what actually happened behind it, the auditor um, who who provided the report investigating it described this um, more or less silent, this obedient public service culture. And this isn't the only case of this. People feel naturally that they often don't feel comfortable speaking up and that there are environments where um, like they were told, for example, if they were to object to it, they were being told that they were not team players. They were being told that um, they, they, you know, any concerns they expressed were silenced. And um, this is just one example, but many people we've spoken to in our interviews talked about how they feel like no one listens to them. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned the public sector, but I don't know that it's a public sector thing solely. Uh, I think about Disney where they had the issue with alligators and it turned out employees had mentioned that. And uh, I wonder what we're going to hear about the collapse of the condo in Florida. Uh, that building, because I think there were red flags there. But, you know, I think it seems like we've built a culture where people feel they're not listened to. And even in companies that say they're open to this, uh, they don't do a great job of this. Yeah, I think there is definitely, um, there, there's differences in um, companies as well as in leaders in terms of how much people can encourage. Now, you know, on the positive side, there are many organizations that, um, and, and great examples of companies out there that do an amazing job of listening to their employees. Um, you know, I, I teach one of the you know cases and one of the examples I know of is um, Automatic, for example. It's this great organization where it's all about employees speaking up and listening to each other um, and having a very, very intense communication culture and other places like this. So it is possible um, to, in order to build these great environments where people feel comfortable and safe speaking up, but it does take a lot of active attention to encouraging it. And that's part of what we wanted to look at in our research. Well, talk about that a little bit, because if you were running an organization and you want people to feel comfortable coming forward and perhaps improving your product. And the other example I was thinking about is Boeing, the airplane, when they had all those issues a few years ago. Again, it seemed like the workers had talked about this before that. And I actually spoke to someone in the organization. He said, look, at one point there was a culture where people could speak. And then at some point it changed. So if you want to have the one where people feel comfortable, what are the things you need to do? Yeah. So as a leader, if you're going to be able to create this environment and it can start at the very top, it can also start in your own work unit. If you're kind of mid-level management, Um, it's about really two main parts as a leader. And it's openness to actually do everything in your power to signal to your employees that you're actually open, that you're listening. And you know, it's funny as leaders, we often are taught to speak and, you know, how you're supposed to talk, you know, tell people what to do and to, you know, constantly give direction. But the more powerful thing to do is to actually learn how to listen and to sit back and be open to people and say, look, you know, hey, rather than me telling you exactly what to do, I'm going to ask some really good questions. And I'm going to ask, um, sorry, I'm going to sit back and listen to all of the different um, input that comes comes from you. And so that signaling of openness at meetings, the signaling of openness at, um, you know, when someone does um, raise a concern, um, you know, when someone says, you know, hey, there's a problem, you don't just silence it, but you say, okay, I'm listening now, what do we do about it? And that's the second part of it, right? So the openness is the, the actual listening to the employees. 
But then the second part is responsiveness, where you really then have to do something and actually investigate or to follow up or to be proactive when, when, when issues and concerns do come up. And it's a whole other subject, maybe, but I wonder how this will work. When so what can they do in order to have a strong uh, Or how it's worked over the last year? And um, what our research that really showed is that it comes down to a few elements. It's not just one thing. It's not like here's the, the magic solution to always speak it up in a better way, but really to attend to four different elements of um, what you're talking about. Um, and when you do that, you're more likely to be listened to. Okay, so the first one is rationale. And that's to say, it's what the one we call rationale is about um, saying that you've actually put some thought into building a compelling rationale. So rather than just saying, oh, I have this idea and it's kind of this flippant, you know, offhanded thing, you're like, okay, so I did a little bit of research on this. I put some thought into this. I did some benchmarking and I realized that our competitors are doing this and we're not doing this. Or, you know, I did some um, speaking to other people in other departments and um, I learned that they are also having this problem. Or, you know, so that you've, you've done some work into actually establishing that what you're talking about is um, truly important. Um, and there's a foundation in some, um, you know, some research that you put forward to build a case for the, 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 the contribution or the idea that you're about to put forward. So you try and make sure you sound credible. Oh. Yeah, it's it, it really, that's a really good way to think about it is the credibility issue. That's the first one. Second. So the second one is feasibility. Um, and when we talk to leaders about what constitutes high quality voice, what they would say is, well, you know, they're great ideas. But we can't do anything with them if we can't, if there's not a feasibility to them. So it is just what it sounds like. It's to say that you've not only built a case for why this is important, you've actually started to answer the question of like, what can you do about it? So um, maybe you're actually starting to say, well, I actually looked at resources and I found out that we actually have an extra budget here. Or, you know, I thought about, you know, how we might actually implement this or who we might be able to talk to in order to make this change. So you've actually started doing a tiny bit of work into thinking how it might be feasible for the leader or somebody else in the organization to, to make a change. Because I imagine this is the point where a lot of people get shot down. Think, you know what, that's interesting, but we can't afford that. So goodbye. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you've actually say, well, you know, what if we were to actually, so this might actually be possible if we were to cut this item instead. So we probably, if we do this change that I'm suggesting, then we probably don't need to offer this anymore. Or, you know, hey, I think there's some other people that be willing to donate their time to this. Awesome. Okay. Third you're solving the manager's problems for them. Yes. So third thing on your list. Yeah. Third thing on the list. This is um, what we call organizational focus. So organizational focus is to say that it is it is aligned with the greater purpose or mission of the organization. It's trying to uphold um, the, the goals of the vision. So it's not just about you and kind of getting your own personal benefits. It's not going to benefit just a small subset of the population. And it's not um, it's not a selfish concern. It's to say that this is for the greater good. It's for um, uh, for, for accomplishing the goals that's, that are going to benefit the organization. It might be reputational. It might be employee health and well-being. It might be safety. It might be um, you know, overall uh, efficiency or productivity. It might be quality. But there's some logic for how it's going to help the organization and not just you know, selfishly help individuals. And that's partly a communication issue on the part of management as well, right? Kind of telling the people who work there, what the purpose is. And I find that's something that gets lost too these days, particularly with the virtual world, but not, not exclusively because of that. Um, people tend to be in their bubble a little bit. Yeah, they, there is definitely a um, loss of 
sight, I guess, like the, the you know, we can't see the organization anymore um, when we're virtual. So we kind of have lost sight. And that's why, um, you know, we got the last year we've been talking to leaders about the crucial importance of building that shared purpose, that shared vision, mm-hmm. um, so that people don't lose sight of what the bigger picture is. Difficult thing, especially right now. Your last thing that workers need to think about? Yeah, the last one is novelty. And that's just to point out that um, your idea is somehow different from everything that's previously tried. So one of the things that leaders will say is, oh, I've heard it all before. We've tried this all before. You know, how is this any different? And so you want to be able to answer that question to say, well, yes, okay, we tried a similar program in the past, or we, we, we've talked about this in the past, but we haven't really tried this. And I think it's different because, and, and why it might be something novel or different as an approach. Interesting. You know, it all makes sense as you say this, and yet people seem scared to raise their voice, sometimes on safety issues, but sometimes just on, you know, here's a great idea. Why is that? Is there a type of person that's more comfortable with this, or is this kind of just general? Yeah, it's, I think in general across um, people, we do know from a lot of research that people have these, um, what are called implicit voice theories. Um, And some research has documented that even though many managers are out there saying, we wish people would speak up more. And most of the leaders I speak to are saying, I wish I would hear from my employees more. Wherever it comes from at a societal level, maybe we're taught by our parents, by our school systems, by our teachers, by society somewhere, people have developed these implicit beliefs that voice is somehow risky. Um, And some of it might be enforced in in certain organizational cultures as well. Um, But you know, people have a fear that they're not going to be taken seriously. They have a fear that they're not going to, um, that they're not going to be listened to because they don't have um, the, the, the solutions yet. Um, they have a fear that they're not going to be, you know, listened to because, um, you know, they feel it's going to be futile, um, that no one's going to do anything with it. So that there's not going to be responsiveness. Um, some people are fear, um, have fear of retaliation. Like if they actually speak up, that they're either going to get backlash against them or going to get targeted somehow. Um, so some of these are, are legitimate fears, um, and yet what the work on implicit voice theories shows is that these are way overblown in people's minds um, compared to the reality that the reality of their, their bosses oftentimes saying, this is not at all what I would expect. Like, I actually would love to hear from you. People tend to um, underestimate how important it is for them to speak up, and they overblow these kind of fears in their own minds. When you speak to leaders, is there a recognition that it is important to hear from them? I know they give lip service. Yes, I'd like to hear from them more, but it is important. If you're trying to run a productive, innovative organization, you need the input. Is there a recognition of that? Yeah, I think in a lot of the leaders, I teach um, um, leadership in several of our programs and executive education at Smith. And in most of the programs that I go to, much of what we're teaching leaders is about the importance of listening. But when in the discussions I have with these leaders, they say, well, I, I genuinely want to hear from employees. I genuinely want to, um, to, to you know, listen more to what they have. I just don't know how to get them to speak up. And every session I've ever run has had you know, a handful of leaders sitting back and going, how do I get them to speak? How do I get them to speak? And this is something that is, um, you know, has been echoed throughout our sessions that we've run um, on this topic that leaders, are, I think, are most of them are very genuine about wanting to hear, but they're just not quite sure you know, how to encourage that. Give an example of an organization that does this well. Yeah, so um, the, I'll actually give you a little bit of a historical example. Um, we could talk like current as well, but um, actually talk to give you an example of a leader who did this well, who changed the culture of an organization. 
Um, so back in, um, I think it was 2006 when he took over, Alan Mulally was, um, took over Ford Motor Company. Um, he'd previously been at Boeing. And at that point in time, um, Ford was, was failing. It was failing you know, quite badly. It was um, on, on track to lose billions of dollars. And they were actually one of these organizations that, um, that you know, had a culture of silence. And so the previous CEO had been, um, had been known for firing people who dared to speak up. And so you know, this, this leader came by, Alan Mulally came by and basically said, okay, look, this is, this is, we're not going to do this anymore. And he would go to these executive meetings um, and he tells a story about an executive meeting where um, every week people would come and report on their, their reports that, you know, everything's fine, green, 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 everything's fine. He's like, they're on track to lose billions of dollars and everyone keeps telling me it's fine. And then one week, one of the executives comes in and it was dared to report that, you know, hey, something's not right. And so we put a yellow on a report. And not only did um, he not fire the executive, he actually stood up and clapped. He, he gave applause to that, um, that executive who dared to speak up. And then at the next meeting, started to um, see him closer to him and started to pay more attention to him. So that's one way. So like if we talk about you know an organization that does this well, you can transform that culture by virtue of like simply having a leader say, thank you for telling me what's wrong. Thank you for telling me what um, you know was and that became part of the culture that at Ford is to actually speak about mistakes and that's part of the turnaround is how they did it. Um, you know uh, another key organization that is often upheld as one of the, the masters of this is actually um, Pixar Animation Studios. Hmm. And uh, Pixar Animation has this incredible culture of um, open feedback, constant voice. They actually um, have people have access to the executives to who will listen to them and actually get together and do these um, these uh, brainstorming sessions for any issues that are going on. It's interesting you mentioned Pixar because that's kind of a creative industry, and you maybe would expect that. Uh, I was actually trying to think of who ran Ford before two thousand six, but probably better not to go there. Um, but in terms of industries, are there some that are better than others? Yeah, it's interesting. From an industry perspective, we don't have solid research on it, but I can talk to you about at least what I've seen. Industries are have dedicated more attention to this. And healthcare in particular is one of them that has um, recognized the critical importance of a voice um, and is actually trying really, really hard to create voice climates. Um, it's not naturally there. Um, so there's certain cultures, I guess, where um, with, with doctors, with, with we have the, the strong hierarchies, environments that have strong hierarchies. Um, you know, so we can think of more hierarchical organizations like military. We can uh, we think of, um, you know, more you know, public service cultures, you know, where there's, you know, strong ranks between people. Um, but then also in, in, in medical environments, we do have uh, more of a hierarchical environment. And that is associated with, generally having a lower level of voice where people aren't as comfortable speaking up because the you know traditional power structures were all about top down. And so um, more recently, Amy Edmondson, for example, at Harvard Business School and some of her colleagues um, really brought this idea to the forefront in the healthcare industry and realized that um, we need to fight this tendency. And so there's been a lot of discussions and a lot of training um, to, about the importance of, of voice for actually prevention of medical errors. What we find is if there's nursing units, for example, that have 
um, open collaborative leadership where the, the people at the top actually listen more. Not only do they, um, and in the short run, they actually get more medical errors reported. And that's actually a good thing because otherwise people are just sweeping these under the rug. There's a culture of silence. And then so in the short run, they actually get more medical errors reported. And in the long run, what it means is that they can then proactively start to prevent these medical errors. So it's one of the areas where I know they're actively trying to implement organizational procedures and practices specifically to encourage voice. You know, I think it was, well, maybe 30, 40 years ago, maybe more, we used to have suggestion boxes and, you know, employee forums where you could put things in anonymously. And they're not in fashion anymore, correct? I understand that employees were frustrated that they would put in suggestions and never see anything you know, happen there. Does that still happen? Is there anonymous feedback in organizations? Yeah, it's really interesting. The suggestion box, um, you, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, what organizations used to do. The suggestion boxes that you know, you'd always see the cartoons that would show that the suggestion box was actually the trash can. Um, you know, and so like, you know, people thought, okay, you put an idea in and then it just disappears, right? And 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 that was why they, they fell out of fashion. Um, do they still exist? Yes, they've just been recently reincarnated. Um, and it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um, Kyle Brickman and Brickman, I just we ran another study, a follow up study, um, looking at these digital voice systems. And actually, what's been happening in the last five years or so is that organizations have been implementing a, um, a corporate intranet version of these digital voice systems as a way of actually um, reinventing the the suggestion the suggestion box idea, but in a way that turns it into an actionable item. So I could tell you a little bit more about that if you're interested in hearing kind of how those work. Sure. Yeah. So the the way that um, there's several different iterations on the market and several different vendors of these, but the idea is that employees, it's a crowdsourcing type of approach. So it's almost like Facebook. So you put it, um, employees put ideas up there and then um, they're, they're more or less public and, and some organizations can do an anonymous version of them. So you asked about the anonymous. Um, some organizations can do that. They're not generally recommended because you want people to have some sort of ownership over the ideas and, um, you know, to put them up there. And then the rest of the community can, um, you can upvote them, you can like them, you can, you know, add comments to them, you can build upon them, you can vote upon them. And so you actually get a, a bit of a social community, a, a crowdsourcing approach to ideas and, you, and companies can run polls. But then the key thing, it's not just putting the ideas out there, the key thing to make these systems actually work more effectively is then to have um, accountability. So that, you know, we talked about the openness and the responsiveness. So as leaders, they're actually assigned responsibility for doing something with these ideas. And it becomes part of a project management approach essentially. So they're, they have to respond back on the platforms about if the idea is actually being encouraged, if it's being implemented, if it's um, been declined, and if so, then for what reason it's being declined. So people actually get um, much faster feedback about their ideas. And then if it's going to be implemented, it's actually tur it turns into a project flow that people can track as to you know how and where it is in the implementation process. Jen, it's such an interesting topic. We could talk about it for a long time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Jana Rubber is Professor of Organizational Behavior at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. 
Well, that's it for today. If you do want to know more about Jaina, take a look at our show notes. You will find some links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEtalk. Now, I am going to ask everyone a favor. If you did enjoy this conversation, if you do like this topic as a future of work, please take a moment, leave a review or a rating wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people can find us, and it will really help us continue these discussions about the future of work. Thank you so much for listening today, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. 